in the ballpark. You are joined here by Serpus, Maxi, and Frizy for another big week of football. We are into the preliminary final week, and this is one of the most magical weeks in football. Some of the most purest footy you will see. First of all, welcome Frizy and Maxi to the show, and very excited to talk about these two preliminary finals. Thanks, Serps. Maxi, gents, can you believe we're here again? Premium final week, big week, as you say. Big week in preparation here in the arc. We've got a lot of work to do to get the technology up to standard. A couple of huge games this weekend. So already working on that uh, 48 hours out from the first bounce. It is, a, it is a big week, prelim final week, isn't it? I mean, I suppose it's a bit different at the moment because we're we're not in Melbourne for the, for the grand final and things just aren't quite as usual as we know it. I feel as though in years gone by, it's a... It's a big thing of, you know, premium final is, is the week because, as you say, sir, it's the purest. It's it's all about the fans. It's everything. Whereas a little bit more so on grand final day, you get a lot of, you know, corporate tickets, perhaps neutral supporters floating around. So I suppose that the the buzz in the stadium is not quite the same. It's very true, Frizzy. Do you think you can man all of those screens behind you by yourself? I'm not sure, but uh, if uh, we're recruiting ARC specialists, I know there's a... Uh, a few AFL coaches recently out of uh, roles. If they're looking for football-related gigs, hey, we need this the support back here. Been in here all day, gents, and probably all night. It's uh, yeah, it's it's taxing. So yeah, any support be most appreciated. Migraine o'clock, indeed. And let's introduce the stat man who it should be mentioned is our version of the octopus that decides <laughs> who is the winner in the soccer because Maxi Tonner. You, mate, you, my friend, have only managed one wrong tip this whole final series, which, is, of course, was our Dons, who really let us down, it must be said. Maxie, you're on a bit of a win streak with your tipping. Tell us your secret. I haven't really got a secret, Seb. And considering the, the Bulldogs could have very easily lost. They only just won by a point. So it could have very easily gone the other way. <laughs> you two could have looked like the octopuses and I could have looked like the idiot this week. But... um. <laughs> No, it's good to be back and interesting with this week with the two preliminary finals. They're both the matchups that we saw in round 23 as well. So, yeah, really looking forward to this week. And Maxi, hopefully as close as the games in round 23. Incredible momentum swings in both of those games that we'll no doubt touch on. You're absolutely right, though. You are the octopus. Fryzy and I are the calamari because we have stuffed up our tips with the Brisbane game. And we may as well start on that, gentlemen, because... In my opinion, Brisbane Lions up against the Western Bulldogs, this was the game of the season for mine, just the atmosphere and the finish. I mean, one point in it at the end, Bailey Smith kicks that amazing goal to put the doggies up by six points, and then it goes down to the other end, and Zach Bailey, who's becoming... Bailey's everywhere. He's becoming a clutch player, Max. He's already kicked the winning goal against Collingwood earlier in the season to potentially save... The, the Brisbane Lions season at that point of the season. They were in Melbourne. They were staying here. They are under a lot of pressure. And he delivers again and then scores a level, some contentious umpiring decisions, which Frizy will no doubt touch on in the arc. But there we go. That incredible point. Leifam Vandermeer just gets it onto his boot. And Brisbane Lions weren't able to get that score towards the end. But they had plenty of opportunities, gents. What an incredible finish to an incredible final. And again, it must be said, Brisbane Lions, second close semi-final loss. Their record is now 1-5 and five in finals under Chris Fagan. 
Yeah, it was interesting. When I tipped the Bulldogs last week, I sort of, I said um, I was worried about Brisbane's scoring power and I thought, well, I mean, what was the score in the end? It was only like 70-something apiece. But um, Charlie Cameron burst out of the, in the opening quarter with three goals on Eastern Wood. He's dominating him. And, the, and then they send, who was it, Taylor Jurek, who did a pretty good job after quarter time. And Joe, as, as much as we love him as, old Essendon, as an old Essendon player, Apart from that one goal, he didn't offer too much. So that's that's where I was worried about Brisbane going into the game. And Taylor Jaray, who's obviously he's shut down Charlie Cameron in the second half. And then that amazing play at the end <laughs> where the ball is pr- practically him ch- him and Charlie Cameron one-on-one and somehow he ma- manages to get it out. But um, as you said, amazing finish. Brisbane now out in straight sets for the second time in three years. And all of a sudden, Lockie Neal might be leaving. So it's been a bit of a whirlwind for Brisbane Lions supporters in the last week. Terribly rough week, hasn't it? Amazing uh, what can happen in the space of, you know, three or four days. Just remarkable. I don't think uh, at all, boys, just on Serp's comment about uh, the game of the year, I don't think that is uh, overstating it at all. And I'd even go a step further and say probably one of the best finals in our lifetimes that we've seen. I know there's been some rippers, but... That one is right up there, I think. Um, I know we'll probably discuss the umpiring in greater detail, particularly that second half. It appears, um, from what I've seen, that the late free kicks in that last quarter were, were seemingly t- ticked off, I should say, by the uh, by the department. So I know there was there was one out of the middle um, from from the ruck contest with about a minute to go. That one, I think, that was pretty clear and quite a courageous free to pay, actually given the circumstance and the time. Um, there's going to be some Brisbane supporters that don't particularly like that or don't want to hear that. Don't know if you guys saw the the deliberate uh, that went the Lions' way, in fact, with about four or five minutes to go and gave them a shot at goal. Not sure what you guys made of that. You know, is that is that one of those ones that will... That's actually a shank off the, you know, off the side of the boot. It's an accident. So is that what we want to see? You know, how, how do we uh, how do we judge that, fellas? Just firstly on that decision, Frizy, I think Caleb Daniel, he redeemed himself. Only a couple of minutes later, he managed to throw it on the boot and it went directly to one of his players while he was under extreme pressure and he managed to really ice the game. So he did redeem himself. And of course, Caleb Daniel was one of the best users in the competition. And I think earlier in that game, he did this incredible kick down the guts of the ground and hit one of his players as one of the kicks of the season. So definitely can't underestimate just how clever and just how skillful Caleb Daniel is. But you're absolutely right, Frizy. That was a hell of a call, in my opinion. I think it bounced once before it went, but we've seen that being paid before. So they've just got to be consistent with it. I think even Taylor Jure, to be honest, he sort of looked surprised when in that contest that you mentioned earlier, Maxie, that when he was in mm. in the contest on the run with, uh, with Charlie Cameron under a lot of pressure and the ball just managed to fall or dribble onto his boot and it also went out of bounds. And I know a lot of Brisbane supporters were yelling, come on, that's deliberate too. And they didn't pay it. So it, very fascinating. I agree, Frizzy. I think it was pretty stiff and it just looked like a, a genuine shank off the boot. Does this concern Brisbane fans and Chris Fagan generally that they don't seem at the moment to, to be able to go that, that next step? It's such a small margin game, like one point. So... If Charlie Cameron grabs that ball and kicks either a point and they go to extra time or it kicks a goal, then, you know, we're all sitting here saying how good Brisbane are. So I think obviously they've missed Dan McStay and Eric Hipwood, which are the two main key forwards. 
I know Jack Payne, they played forward earlier in the game before he got gussed. And I actually think Jack Payne's a really good defender if another team's looking for a key defender. He doesn't seem to get a lot of opportunity there. And then they sent Harris Andrews forward late, which was surprising considering they got in front late in the last quarter before Bailey Smith kicked that goal. And by that time, I would have been <laughs> sending Harris Andrews back. I would have wanted my best key defender. I know he's perhaps under an injury cloud, but even in, I think it was 2019 when they lost to GWS by three points. It's just such fine margins. So to say they've got a finals problem, I'm not sure. That's finals football, I suppose, uh, a lot of the time. And look, I'm sure neutral fans probably wouldn't have it any other way, given the game that mm. we saw. And It's quite exciting if you're a Western Bulldog fan. You know, haven't been able the last two appearances prior to this year winning those elimination finals. So obviously getting that monkey off their back and then being able to win a big semi-final. I mean, you know, the sky's the limit as far to as what they can achieve in this final series now. It's very exciting if you are a Western Bulldog supporter. The Western Bulldogs have had to travel nearly 8,000 kilometres in this final series. They've had to be in Tasmania. They have went to Adelaide. They went to Perth. They've been pretty much everywhere and they've had to quarantine in some pretty tight circumstances. There was one occasion there where they had pretty much no available food. They had very cold eggs, I think, at one point at one of the hotels. They've really had to do it tough. And considering some of their opponents have pretty much been able to sleep in their own beds and pretty much have favourable conditions... What they've been able to do on the road has been pretty remarkable. And considering they were stuck in Tasmania for a long period of time after that game and weren't even able to train and acclimatise themselves to the Brisbane conditions, to win that game, it's even more remarkable considering the circumstances that they've had to go through. I mean, gents, that would have to galvanise a group like the Western Bulldogs, you'd have to say. Spot on, sir. I mean, let's just say for... For instance, obviously talking, you know, hypotheticals here and possibilities, but if they do happen to go to Adelaide and overcome the power this week, end up in a grand final, they're, dare I say, going to be the only side that would have played, you know, four different finals at, at four different venues, which, you know, is quite extraordinary when you consider that. Like you say, Serbs, maybe ordinarily that's not something that we'd notice too much, but it's particularly clear when, as you say, your opposition don't have to go through the same thing. Um, and in many cases, your opposition are playing at home. So they seem to be um, a side, and it was a, it was a very, very uh, similar sort of theme five years ago where the, almost the more that their, their backs are against the wall, they, they actually uh, produce as a result. It was a really passionate moment from Bailey Smith in probably one of his best ever finals performances, Maxi. I think his best, especially that last quarter. I haven't got the stats in front of me, but he's just to the eye, he's just running on top of the ground. And to kick, what do you have? I think he had 27 and three goals, which it was awesome. But as I said, that last quarter, it just looked like everyone was running with concrete boots on and he was just running freely. Um, that was, to be honest, I think his previous two years have been a lot better than this year, to be honest. Conversation on, I think it was the AFL exchange where they were saying to Gold Coast, because there's been sort of some whispers that Gold Coast have been interested in, in him over the years, where they offer their pick two or three or whatever they had at the, at the time to trade for him. And I, at that time throughout the year, I'd say, no way, he's not playing anywhere near his potential at the moment. But his last few weeks have been really good. I suppose it's probably this year it's been tougher to acclimatise with the extra midfielders coming in with Traw, who we might touch on. Had I think he, he didn't touch the ball until halfway through the second quarter, which was a bit strange. But 
yeah, Bailey Smith, that was one of his best games that I've seen. And you touch on McRae as well. I think he had something like, what do you have? He had like 39 or something, <laughs> something crazy, which you just sort of assume he's going to get at this stage. But yeah, that Western Bulldogs midfield, it's been talked about all year and it's it lived up to it on the weekend. Really interesting that, you know, a guy like Trelaw goes from a place where he's arguably one or two perhaps uh, best midfielder in the side. Not to say that he's best, he's not up right up there now, but he comes into a midfield that's already first class. You know, it was well before he got there. And um, if anything, he's intended to add uh, a little bit of icing on already a very, very sweet cake, if you like. Even... For the for the fellas' confidence, I noticed uh, the the commentators were quick to point out exactly mm. what you said, Maxie, about his uh, his first touch on the ball not coming till the second term. Like even watching the Bulldogs, I'm still sort of surprised that they didn't do the Dunkley trade every time I watch them, considering how many good midfielders they do have. Even if Essendon were only going to part with that 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 single first round pick, as opposed to I think the two they were wanting, if I recall. Yeah. Look, even then, um, not to knock the uh, the young guy as a footballer, but regardless, I think they probably still end up with a very, very sound deal out of that, the Bulldogs, yeah. if, if they go ahead. Yeah. However, for one other club this round it was, and that was the GWS Giants. They went down on the weekend to the Cats in probably a result that we all expected. Look, I picked GWS just to be the odd one out, but yeah. it wasn't their night. Look, they... Got within a goal, uh, 20 points at one stage as well, and had some exciting moments. But in the end, the Cats were just too classy and seems that they got their selections right as well with Asaba Radagalia coming back. And also Zach Tui had some influential moments, arguably one of the best players on the round. Gents, just quickly on the Giants, uh, what do you make of their season? Did you see them getting this far at the start of the season? I always thought they were better than what people were rating them at the start of the year. But when I when I started watching on, uh, was it Friday night? And I, I knew Toby Green wasn't playing, but then to find out that Jesse Hogan was laid out, I just thought they're not going to be able to kick a winning score, which, I mean, in the last quarter, they sort of just let everything go to <laughs> everything go and just try to attack, which I think they got within, was it 20 points in the end? But without Toby Green and without Jesse Hogan, I just thought they weren't, be, they weren't going to be able to kick a winning score. But... Overall, um, from the position that they were in, I think they were 0-3. Um, to make a semi-final, I think it's a pretty good year. Throughout the year, they just lost like bottom four teams. So if they had won two or three of them, they could have been pushing for the top four. So I think the Giants have just got to work out how they can stop having those lapses within games because like, they have quarters where they just don't turn up. And they're such a, such a good side at their best that they've just got to figure out a way to become more consistent, which... Every team would like to be more consistent than what they are, especially us Essendon supporters. But um, overall, a very good year for the Giants. In that point as well, Maxie, they drew with North Melbourne, who finished on the bottom of the ladder as well. So that could have been... In Ho- yeah, that was a game in Hobart where North Melbourne do play better, but they should have won that game. They should have won that game, and they definitely had wind in their sails in that last quarter. Is Mummy going around again? Because it was interesting, at the end of the Giants game, we are all like watching, are they going to get to a guard for him? Are they going to cheer him off? And... Nothing happened, so. It was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, and like, I don't know, Channel 7 talked about it almost the whole game as if they wanted it to happen. Yeah. They're really building it up. 
just keep him on the list. And if he needs to play six games a year, then just keep keep, keep giving him a, a spot on the list. Pretty much the winning percentage for GWS was skyrocketed when he was playing. I mean, just his influence around that club. And, I mean, clearly they were <laughs> towards the end, they were making fun of the fact that he wasn't getting to, to all the ruck contests, <laughs> clearly, you know, suggesting that this could well be the end. But look, if he doesn't go back into amateur boxing, why not keep him <laughs> for six more games next season? Does He goes the Paul Gallon route. The poor fellow that comes up as the first opponent for Mumford. Oh, geez. One of those part-time ruck coach, part-time player type of race. Surely that's that's the best thing to do. That is right, gentlemen. Let's hope we see Shane Mumford back in charcoal, orange and white colours. And I tell you what, there'll be a lot of ruckmen out there very happy to see the back of him and not to mention big Mitch Duncan as well. I think you'd be very happy to see the, uh, the back of Shane Mumford next season. I think there are a few players around the league who'd be happy to see the back of him if he does go. Um, we'll say our boy, um, Braden Proust, hopefully he finally gets on the puck because he can throw his weight around as well. Yeah, I don't think uh, any other club would have a higher uh, aggregate weight of their ruckman <laughs> than the Giants this year. It's a good sign uh, of your, I suppose, your your strength in that department when someone like Big Proust is uh, not even really considered at the moment. But Frizy. GWS, very good season, but Geelong had to respond. We mentioned their form previously in semifinals. It's remarkably better than the first week of the finals where they ultimately, history has been against them. They have struggled in that first week. Frizzy, just business as usual for the Cats, but obviously they'll get tested out this week a lot more. Two right, serves. We're looking at a very, very different sort of uh, test coming up this week. But look, they they did what we largely expected. You know, they they went to another level come semi final week. And um, I mean, unfortunately, that yeah, the obstacles, perhaps self inflicted ones in some cases for the Giants uh, with the players unavailable, just really crucified them in the end. Um, the green emission was bad enough, but then Hogan just an hour or so before the bounce, I mean, that didn't help. I thought their their midfield all together actually stood up quite well. But uh, look, um, again, it, it, as, as Maxie said, you know, the issue going into that game, um, and quite rightly so in the end, was going to be kicking a winning score. A bit like we spoke about, ironically enough, of the Cats in the first week, you really can't afford to go a goalless quarter in a final and then in the and then for an entire half only manage three goals. It, look, it's it's very difficult to expect to uh to win a final with with that sort of result. Not to say that the you know the effort wasn't there. I I don't think that, but I just thought, yeah, Geelong were probably a little bit uh, a little bit tough, a little bit more gutsy when it when it counted. And I gotta say, as for as for Tommy Hawkins, is he playing some of the best football for someone over 30 that you've you've seen? It's like you play another five years at the moment. <laughs> it's remarkable. And you just see the two contrasts there, you know, one one big forward. I suppose the Cats had two, in fact, and funnily enough, it happened to be Cameron, but um, but it was Hawkins really that that sort of stole the show. Yeah, there's an enormous contrast there between having an intimidating uh, power forward there on the night, which the the Giants lacked. On the weekend, it was Joel Selwood's record-breaking 333rd game for the Cats, his one and only club, the number 14 for Geelong. Well, he just continues to deliver, obviously playing a much different role to what he had when he first began. But 
incredible effort thinking that that first season in 2007 he managed to play in a premiership and hasn't really looked back since and chaired off on the weekend by Corey Enright, who was the player who held that record previously to him and, of course, our favourite man, Tommy Hawkins. So, I mean, what an incredible effort by Joel Salwood and hopefully the fairy tale isn't over for him. Geelong and Melbourne are also the two oldest clubs and he's broken the record, so... (laughs) Um, yeah, incredible achievement. He's been playing since 2007. We were in year four in, that, in 2007, certainly still going around. So, yeah, he's, he's been an awesome player. You think the kids that were born around the time that he was drafted, those kids are now 15, they're probably going to go their entire childhood up to adult life, arguably, and seeing this guy's career play out. Uh, no, it's it's incredible. You, you can't really have much other than admiration for him as a footballer, regardless of who you support. Um, I know there's perhaps a few uh, Hawthorne supporters about the place that might not agree entirely, but of course the whole credit where credit uh, is due sort of thing. And um, yeah, no, you're right. The fairy tale's not over. The assignment, as we said, doesn't get any easier this week or the week after, of course, if they happen to to get through. Gentlemen, let's get on to the preliminary finals. We have been waiting to talk about this for pretty much the whole show, and it is the Melbourne Demons against the Geelong Cats at Optus Stadium. That's right. We get to see the two oldest clubs in the competition up against each other And it is the Demons' second visit to Optus Stadium since 2018 in finals. And last time, they did not do well. This is the closest the Demons have got to a grand final look since 2018. And of course, as we've mentioned, the Geelong Cats, 12 prelims out of 18. It's unbelievable. Gentlemen, how do we see this going? Because the Demons, they have been the informed team, the minor premiers, And as we alluded to, both of these teams played off in an absolute thriller in round 23. Do you see it going a similar way or do the Cats have a couple of tricks up their sleeves? It's finals footy, of course, so you wouldn't rule out Geelong having that. Uh, They they do often just seem to to find a way on on a lot of occasions. But, of course, prelim final, um, a hurdle they overcame last year in in, uh, interesting circumstances. We know that, but in... A lot of the years prior, it was almost that had that kind of bridge too far feeling a little bit since 2011. Funny you touch on uh, that game just a few weeks ago as well. So that was the the one, the result after the siren that actually ensured that Melbourne did grab that uh, minor premiership. And you, to think that earlier that evening, um, the Cats were seven or eight goals in front, which that, you know, to, to even get to that point against the Demons um, shows you that, you know, the start in the first half or so that they, they must have had in that match. So, look, hopefully, I mean, we I know we all, as neutral fans, and I'm sure uh, same as all the other neutral fans around Australia, we want to see thrillers. We want to see uh, really, really memorable finals. You're wrapped. It seems even more exciting because the last three or four years with these two teams, it's almost always gone down to the final seconds in more than one occasion. It's after the siren. It's a one way or another. The difference is, uh, you know, under a kick. So really hoping that uh, much of the same is uh, produced for this weekend. I'm going to tip the Demons just because I do struggle to see it going any other way at this point. 
Firstly, they're going to challenge Melbourne in a different way with Asaba Radagalia having a final under his belt. I think that could potentially change the structure in that forward line. And depending on who Radagalia goes to, or should I say what Melbourne defenders go to him, if he is a challenging matchup for those Demon defenders, they may not be able to have their usual pill-off capability. So that's going to be fascinating to see what plays out. But just quickly on the Demons, I mean, their midfielders are in some serious form and they are going to be hard to beat. I think Geelong showed enough in round 23 that they can beat Melbourne in areas of their game and really expose that. I tell you what, it'd be amazing to be a Geelong supporter right now because you can almost bank in a top four finish, as we've alluded to a lot, but prelim finals, they're very hard to get to. And the fact that they're playing in them more often than they're not, it's an absolutely remarkable effort from the from the playing group and the coaching staff. I think it's 12 of the last 18, but what I think this game is going to come down to is what you mentioned before, Seb, is the forward line that um, Geelong have picked now with Radagalia. And I think Stanley will also go forward at times. So whether or not they push Blitzars potentially into the ruck at times and they could have Hawkins, Cameron, Rowan, Radagalia and potentially Stanley all in the one forward line, whether or not that's going to be way too tall. We'll have to wait and see. But as you said, with Lever and May and also Petty, it'd be interesting to see whether or not they um, can isolate those matchups. In the first quarter, we see Jake Lever peeling off and doing what earlier earlier did against Geelong in the first week of finals. I think we'll know that Geelong are in trouble. I think Chris Scott probably likes what he sees with um, Radaglia in that forward line. And they restricted, I think it was Nick Haynes. Yeah, I didn't think he had the intercept game that he usually does, which is why I think the GWS actually sent him forward in the last quarter, which was a bit of a surprise. But yeah, as you said, two great midfields and... That round 23 games, it's going to be a mystery right until Friday night. So we'll see what was real and what wasn't in that game. I am going to tip the Melbourne Demons to get into the grand final, their first grand final appearance since 2000, ironically against the Dons. But beware of the slow start if you're a Melbourne football club supporter. Now, I know... We can't really compare the prelim final last time they were there to this one. They are a different side and they are playing different footy, but they didn't kick a goal, I don't think, until the second quarter, potentially even the second half. It was a disastrous start for the Demons and they were absolutely fumbly. They weren't themselves in that game. They were quite lethargic. Beware of the slow start. Even against the Cats, they started off relatively slow. Of course, we know they had big patches in that game where they didn't score, but they came back late. So there's a little warning for the Ds. They started the game hot against the Brisbane Lions, and that's the form line we should be looking at. But beware the slow start. But I'm tipping the Ds here, gents. Yeah, I'm going to be tipping the Demons because I think they've been the best team all year. And if they do eventually win the flag, I think we're going to be saying, oh, we should have seen this coming all year. But um, the one worry, if I'm... Uh, Melbourne is may probably go to Hawkins. I'm not sure who Lever will go to because I think Lever usually takes one of the less um, dangerous forwards and tries to play off him. So the Jeremy Cameron matchup is a bit of a worry to me because if, I think if he plays on Petty and if he gets off the chain, that's a bit of a worry to me. That's the one worry for me if I'm Melbourne. But as I said, I think Melbourne have been the best team all year. So I'm going to be tipping Melbourne. I think it'll be a close game, but I think Melbourne will kick away late in the last quarter and I'll be tipping them by about three to four goals. Now, gentlemen, let's move on to the final on Saturday night. It is Port Adelaide up against the Western Bulldogs. Who would have thought 
the Western Bulldogs finishing fifth on the ladder would pair up against the Port Adelaide Football Club, who bet them in round 23 in a game which ironically would have put the Western Bulldogs in the top four. They've had to go the long way around. It was a remarkable win last week. But gentlemen, it's another big challenge for the Dogs. And it's fair to say both clashes that these two clubs have played this season have been relatively close. And both sides have taken wins off each other away from home. You don't know who gains more confidence out of that. I suppose the Bulldogs would be somewhat confident considering that they've won two finals in a row and they did beat the power in Adelaide, as you said earlier in the year. But um, I think the big question going into this game is obviously Bontepelli's injured his knee. I'm not sure. I don't think there's any structural damage, but whether or not he's going to be 100% and able to perform at his best, we'll find out on the night. And also Katie Waitman, I don't think will be playing with a concussion. So that's another big loss for the Bulldogs. I've also heard that potentially Steph Martin, <laughs> I think um, Bevo might be um, open to throwing in Steph Martin, considering I think the last time they played Lysette and Laddams did seem to dominate Lewis Young. So it's always interesting with Bevo at selection what he does. He might be thinking about Steph Martin, just considering that the last time these two teams did play, I think Port Adelaide really got on top in the ruck department. So also the Port small forwards, there seems to be 10 of them. They've got a lot of them and uh, hopefully Orazio plays this game. But I think I'm going to be tipping Port Adelaide at home with the crowd advantage. And also, Alir Alir in very good form. It'll be interesting to see, to see who the Bulldogs send to him. Very, very difficult to tip against them. Uh, the home prelim for the second year in a row. I don't think this time they will, they will blow that opportunity. I know they were close last season. But Port Adelaide, for me, very difficult to go against them. Not sure sure if they're the second best side of this season but look they're they're probably uh you know there or thereabouts I suppose the dogs maybe were for the first half of the season this time um I know you mentioned that the home crowd factor and of course well as we know at that Adelaide Oval you simply can't underestimate that I know that they bottled that chance with a home prelim last year but if I'm comparing that Richmond side that they had to overcome last year compared to the Bulldogs they faced this week. Not to discredit the Bulldogs for a moment, but I think that Richmond side 12 months ago was still very much the, the Richmond of old that we got to know so well. Um, a lot of it does hinge on, I suppose, the availability of uh, Gray and, and uh, Aratio Fantasia, as you, as you mentioned. Uh, if one or both of those two can get themselves in that uh, starting lineup. There may be an unlucky uh, Port Adelaide player, perhaps, as a result of it, but that's the way it goes. It's all the more tougher come finals time. Yeah, Port, port for me. Not, not by a whole lot, though, I don't think. I think that the Western Bulldogs aren't going to be good enough. I think it's the Port Adelaide Football Club. They'll be winning this one, gentlemen. But it is going to be a close game, I believe, this one. Well, there you go. We've got free Port Adelaide tips and we've got free Melbourne tips, which means, gentlemen, we're expecting to see a Melbourne versus Port Adelaide grand final in Western Australia. Who would have thought? I think we would never have tipped that. The Jack Watts Cup would be <laughs> unheard of scenes if that's the case. But look, Lastly, I suppose, boys, I guess it just leads me to the other topic that's come up in the last 48 hours. The grand final has been confirmed at quarter past five WA time, which, of course, means uh, 7.15pm for us here in Victoria and for most of the uh, the eastern uh, part of the country. Two years in a row at, uh, at night time. What do we make of that? 
this two-year period where we're away from the MCG, it's fine. But my gut feeling is as soon as it goes back to the MCG, it'll be back to a 2.30 or 3.20 start, which is my preference. But if they're going to be away from the MCG in WA, I'm fine with the night grand final. I mean, it's weird, it's weird enough as it is, so why not? And for the fans that do end up going to the ground and engage with their team after winning the grand final and the players and coaching staff and supporting staff themselves, it's going to be a very late night worth of celebrations, that is for sure. But I don't think there's any curfew in Perth at the moment, so they'll be partying pretty late in the city, I would suggest, gentlemen. But look, personally, I love the idea of a twilight grand final and it would have been my preference if ever the MCG was to do a grand final out of that traditional slot, that it would be a twilight slot. I don't expect that, as you mentioned, Maxie, to happen anytime soon, but I just remember how exciting it was. And I think we've spoken about this on In the Ballpark before, how exciting it was when there was those twilight preliminary finals at the MCG in times gone by. Ironically, Port Adelaide were one of those teams involved in one of them. But I do like the slot, and I think the Western Australian people... Also, the Optus Stadium organisers have absolutely convinced us why this should happen. I mean, they've shown us that at these particular times, the ground is completely shadowed, so there won't be any issues with players getting sun in their eyes. By half time, it'll be completely dark, which means they can do the amazing entertainment with the lighting. And then obviously at full time, when they do the medal ceremony, they can use those lights as well. And for the celebratory parades as well, post game. So it seems as far as the lighting's concerned and the timing's concerned, that it will be a real attraction. And as we know, being on the Eastern Seaboard, when you do get games in Western Australia, they do seem to start with a little bit of light left and then obviously end up at night. So I do like this idea. And as you mentioned, while it is away from the MCG and away from that traditional slot, may as well experiment and get the best out of those venues. It's the last time, but it's a favourite of In the Ballpark. We just love him. It's what we're about. There has been one pivotal member of the umpiring fraternity that will be sitting on the sidelines this weekend Potentially, he's been called up for a gig recording Cold Heart with Dua Lipa because he did dress up as Elton John going down the slip and slide for the big freeze. It's a human when things go wrong. But Fryzy, if it's not that reason, I'm wondering why your man, Razor Ray, isn't umpiring this weekend. Oh, lads, for someone that's got more finals experience than most of the current group. What do you know? You probably wouldn't have picked it. Uh, not too sure what might have gone against Ray or, or perhaps, uh, you know, the reasons for it. But look, not to say that the, the final six are not uh, worthy and uh, capable, because of course they are. There's absolutely no doubt about that. I think uh, they even captured Ray's reaction on uh, seeing that. Uh, it was <laughs> Ray will be there in some capacity as the emergency on the bench, warming up, ready to go if needed. So, look, don't be surprised if at some point uh, you do see and more particularly hear him out there. You just never know. I'm sure Ray will find a way to capture the hearts and minds of everyone watching the game. Gentlemen, thank you so very much for another brilliant episode of In the Ballpark, our preliminary final edition. And of course, 
Listen to us on Spotify if you're not already. Otherwise, check out our Facebook page and our amazing Instagram where all of the clips from this show you will be able to find there and much, much more. Maxi, Fryzy, thank you very much for joining me this week and it's going to be a huge build-up to the 2021 AFL Grand Final. Looking forward to it, sir. Thanks again. We're getting closer. Good on you, boys. Another week uh, coming up. Thanks again. And Fryzy, don't spend too much longer in the arc. Get some shut-eye. Certainly been working overtime in here, boys and girls. I still see these screens back here. They're, they're just still not doing it for me. So a few, few more hours, uh, I think, coming up in preparation for the weekend. We will get it right, and uh, you will see those decisions on the big screen. Don't you worry about that. Hopefully Razor A can help you out in there, Fryzy. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on In the Ballpark this week, and enjoy the preliminary final week of the AFL Finals. Farewell for now. We'll see you next week. And, and as we've heard before, the, the of course, the notorious audio about uh, <laughs> Big Will. Big Will. <laughs> what did he call him, Fryzy? <laughs> uh, it, it, there's, there's parts of that audio that may not be appropriate for our show, but they're, they're, certainly, <laughs> they're certainly something that we won't forget. <laughs> I reckon you can slide some of that audio into here, sir. <laughs> I think I can. Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> No, he's wrapped what? up the winger. Right, okay. No, let's okay. just sack that. No, no, no. Fing run, Will! Get him off quick! Rock it, rock it, rock it. We can't think. We can't think. Right. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay. Come on. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, yeah, Mitch, Mitch, Mitch. Okay, now Minson for um Get him off. Yeah, um Get Minson off! He's coming. Get him back off! Get him off! Get him off! Get him off! Get him off. Rock it! Rock it! We can't hear! We can't hear! It's all just like f***ing mince and f***, isn't it? It's like f***ing Will! Yeah, well, well, and Leon, Leon Cameron's like, Rocket, we can't think. That's right. I love that. Yeah. And, he's, and even even Rocket apologises. He's like, all right, all right, yeah, sorry. And then, and then he goes like, off again. Five seconds later, he's back at it. <laughs>